Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. This week our essay is Favorite Films of 2019 by Dan Clendenin. In his book, Sculpting in Time, the Russian filmmaker Andrei Tarkovsky says that, quote, the allotted function of art is not, as is often assumed, to put across ideas, to propagate thoughts, to serve as an example. The aim of art is to prepare a person for death, to plow and harrow his soul, rendering it capable of turning to good. These five films plowed my soul and, I pray, rendered it capable of turning to good. And don't forget, you can search JWJ's 800 film reviews from 110 countries by title or by country. Just use the drop-down menu under Film at the top of any page. Apollo 11, 2019. This past summer marked the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission that landed the first two people, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, on the moon on July 20, 1969. The Vietnam War was raging, Nixon was president, King and Kennedy were assassinated the year before, but the event was broadcast on live television across the globe and brought the entire world together, if only for that eight-day mission. I was 13 years old and still remember how Armstrong descended the ladder of the lunar module Eagle and declared, that's one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. This 90-minute documentary film, edited, produced, and directed by Todd Douglas Miller, tells that remarkable story. There is no narration or any interviews in the film, although it does have a powerful soundtrack, just archival footage that until now has never been released to the public. The film had its debut at the 2019 Sundance Festival. On Rotten Tomatoes, Apollo 11 has an approval rating of 99%. Sure, this film is partly a history lesson, but it's mainly a huge adrenaline rush, even though we know what happens, from blastoff to splashdown. The Ballad of Buster Scrubs, 2018. This quirky film by Joel and Ethan Cohen earned three nominations for the 2019 Oscars, including Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Costume Design, and Best Original Song. It was also listed on numerous top 10 films of the year lists. The movie is a good example of the changing distribution channels and funding of even mainstream movies. The film was available, available on Netflix just one week after its release in nationwide theaters. The genre here is unique. It's really a mini-anthology of six unrelated vignettes, that are set in America's Wild West and that feature the likes of James Franco and Liam Neeson. The episodes include a guitar-strumming gunslinger, a bank robber, a traveling entertainer, an elderly prospector, a wagon train, and a perverse pair of bounty hunters. As you would expect from the Coen brothers, there is gratuitous violence, absurdist and black humor, romance, poignant drama, and spectacular scenery from the code filming in New Mexico, Nebraska, and Colorado. There is also their signature reflection on our human condition. We often valorize the Wild West, but for the Coens, it was also a violent and even nihilistic time and place. Bohemian Rhapsody, 2019. This biopic about Freddie Mercury, the lead vocalist for the British rock band Queen, is the classic splitter. General movie audiences loved it, with a 98% approval on Google users like this movie. Professional movie critics unanimously panned the movie as historically inaccurate, formulaic, superficial, and melodramatic in the worst sense. I think both opinions are right. Mercury's story is inherently interesting, even if poorly told. He was born as Farouk Bulsara into a Parsi, Zoroastrian family in Zanzibar. His family moved to India and then to England, where he changed his name to Freddie Mercury and helped to form Queen while working as a baggage handler at Heathrow. 
He was famously flamboyant on stage, bisexual, and died of AIDS-related pneumonia in 1991 at the age of 45. The movie traces the meteoric rise of Queen and then Mercury's decision to go solo. The band then reunites to rock the house at Wembley Stadium for a global audience of nearly 2 billion people in 150 countries at the 1998 Live Aid Benefit Concert. The title of the movie comes from Queen's 1975 song of the same name, which their producer refused to record because he considered it an incoherent mishmash that was way too long at six minutes, and which was horribly criticized when it was released, but then went on to be a wildly popular song. Rocket Man, 2019. The most important thing to know about this biopic, about Reginald Kenneth Dwight, Sir Elton John, is that it was produced by his husband, David Furnish, a filmmaker, and that John himself was one of the executive producers. We can imagine then that every last detail in the film has John's seal of approval. Director Dexter Fletcher, the script by Lee Hall, the soundtrack and its arrangements of 22 of John's hits, the casting, the choreography, the cinematography, the production design, the editing, etc. I especially like the mixed genres of straightforward narrative, musical, documentary, and magical realism. In the first minute of the movie, John, dressed in a flamboyant orange devil suit with huge wings and horns, walks into an AA meeting of circled chairs and announces, My name is Elton, and I'm an alcoholic, a cocaine addict, and a sex addict. I'm bulimic. I also have problems with shopping. By repeatedly cutting back to this first scene, it's made clear that this is John's story of redemption, not just from substance abuses, but from the wounds of an emotionally distant nuclear family that did not know how to love a young gay child who was also a musical prodigy, aggravated by global fame, money, debauchery, and corruption when he was only 25. The movie ends in that same AA circle with the appearance of all the key players in his life and John making his peace about his personal identity. And thank God he survived. He and his lifelong lyricist Bernie Taupin produced 30 albums and 300 million records. A note at the end of the movie says that John has been sober for over 28 years and that he has raised $450 million for his HIV-AIDS foundation. This film premiered at the 2019's Cannes Film Festival. Roma, 2018. This black-and-white dramatic memoir received 10 Oscar nominations, including Best Picture and four nominations for Alfonso Cuaron as a producer, writer, cinematographer, and editor. There are different ways to watch the film, but Koran makes his intentions clear at the end of the movie when, as the credits begin to roll, he dedicates it por libo, that is, in loving memory of his real-life nanny, Liberia Rodriguez, who served his family when he was a little boy. The protagonist in the film is a Mixteco girl named Cleo, who, like many people from her indigenous background, has left her own family in the impoverished countryside to find a better life in the city. She is a live-in maid for a family of seven in the Roman neighborhood of Mexico City, where Curran grew up, around 1970. On the one hand, because of her background, Cleo was a powerless person who was subject to socioeconomic forces far beyond her control. On the other hand, her life as a maid is a vast improvement, thanks to good money for reasonable work and a loving city family. Cleo is also a savior and hero. She loves the family's four children more than her own, But whether rich or poor, suffering often knocks at all of our doors. At about the same time in this movie, the two women, Cleo and her employer, the mother Sophia, both suffer bitter treatment by their men. No wonder the film includes scenes of an earthquake, hail, a forest fire, and a pounding ocean surf that will suck you right under. I watched this film on Netflix streaming. For books this week, 
Brad Keister reviews Homer's The Odyssey. This new translation of an ancient classic is very accessible to a 21st century reader. It describes a saga of Odysseus, who, at the successful conclusion of the Trojan War, pursues a single goal of coming home to his wife, all the while encountering human and superhuman obstacles. With the possible exception of Odysseus's wife, Penelope, all the characters, including the gods, are seriously flawed, with Odysseus doing whatever it takes to arrive at home. The scenes range from the mundane, domestic chores, living off the land, to the magical. Views of the underworld and gods transforming the appearance of themselves or mortals and are frequently violent in nature. In this critically acclaimed translation, the classics professor Emily Wilson from the University of Pennsylvania provides an ample introduction that covers the known history of Homer and the document, the variety of perspectives in previous translations, as well as the types of characters covered in the narrative. One can always ask why such a work is still in a classic canon. A side note, Bob Dylan cited this in his Nobel lecture as among three books were formational to him. If for no other reason it provides us a window into classic Greek culture in which it was told and retold, in a period of transition between the values of fighting and heroism, Achilles, and argumentation, Socrates. The physical surroundings and the materials of technology were obviously different then, but the moral choices and their consequences are not. Wilson's Odyssey was named by the New York Times as one of its 100 notable books of 2018. For films this week, Dan reviews Life Overtakes Me. This short Netflix original documentary, 40 minutes long, explores a mysterious illness among refugee children in Sweden called Resignation Syndrome. In the last 15 years, with no real precedence before then, Swedish authorities have treated children who slowly withdraw from the world, stop eating and drinking, lapse into a coma-like state, and become totally unresponsive to any and all stimuli. Some children do recover without any memory of what happened to them, while others persist in the state for over a year. There are a few theories, but no fully satisfactory explanation about resignation syndrome. The children come mainly from ethnic minority families in the Balkans and the Caucasus regions of Russia. In addition, these families have suffered severe physical and psychological traumas in being expelled from their homes. Once in Sweden, they sometimes face persecutions from far-right anti-immigrant Swedes, along with the stress of waiting many months for decisions on their asylum applications with the fear of deportation. The film follows the stories of three children, one of whom recovers, and draws upon the insights of an immigration attorney, a child psychologist, a pediatrician, and a journalist. In the last three years, Sweden has documented 200 new cases of RS. Similar symptoms of resignation syndrome are now being reported in Australian refugee detention centers. And lastly, for poetry this week, A Vision by Wendell Berry. If we will have the wisdom to survive, to stand like slow-growing trees on a ruined place, renewing, enriching it, if we will make our seasons welcome here, asking not too much of earth or heaven, then a long time after we are dead, the lives our lives prepare will live here, their houses strongly placed upon the valley sides, fields and gardens rich in the windows, the river will run clear as we never know it, and over it, birdsong like a canopy. On the levels of the hills will be green meadows, stock bells in noon shade. On the steeps where greed and ignorance cut down the old forest, an old forest will stand. 
its rich leaf fall drifting on its roots. The veins of forgotten springs will have opened. Families will be singing in the fields. In their voices they will hear a music risen out of the ground. They will take nothing from the ground. They will not return, whatever the grief at parting. Memory, native to this valley, will spread over it like a grove, and memory will grow into legend, legend into song, song into sacrament. The abundance of this place, the song of its people and its birds, will be health and wisdom and indwelling light. This is no paradisal dream. Its hardship is its possibility. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for January 5th, 2020. I'm Debbie Thomas.